day. Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Romans 8, verse 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Wonderful to see you and uh, let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word, Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through to verse 25. Let's pray. Father, we just dedicate uh, this part, this time of our service to your word, to the declaring of it, to the preaching of it, to our hearing and our understanding of it. Help me to communicate it uh, in simplicity, in power and truth, empowered by your Holy Spirit. I pray that it would be you, not me. I pray for any new Christians or people that are visiting today, any part of your word that may be confronting, that may be um, confusing, I pray that you would bring understanding and clarity by your Holy Spirit. I pray for those of us that have read Romans many times before, that as we read it today, something in your word would grip our hearts afresh, that our relationship with you, Jesus, would be alive, that it would be real, that it would be fresh. And you'd help us live in our world for your glory. Help us today, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Joshua Bell emerged from the Washington, D.C. metro train station. And he positioned himself against a wall. By most measures, he was nondescript. A youngish white male wearing jeans, a long-sleeved t-shirt, and a baseball cap. From a small case, he removed a violin, placing the open case at his feet. He shrewdly threw in a few dollars of pocket change as seed money, and then he began to play. For the next 45 minutes in the DC metro, on January the 12th, 2007, Look it up on YouTube. Bell played Mozart and Schubert. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. As over 1,000 people streamed by, most of them hardly taking any notice. 
if they would have taken notice, they might have recognised that the young man is the world-renowned violinist that he in fact is. They may also might have noticed the violin that he was playing, a rare Stradivarius, am I saying that correctly? Worth over $3 million. This was all part of a project arranged by the Washington Post, a quote, an experiment in context, perception and the priorities of people, an unblinking assessment of public taste. Just three days earlier, Joshua Bell sold out the Boston Symphony Hall with the most ordinary seats going for $100 per ticket. In the subway, Bell collected $32 (laughs) from 27 people who stopped long enough to give him a donation. World-famous violinist Joshua Bell playing a $3 million Stradivarius at the Washington train station where he was largely unnoticed and completely unrecognised. He was hidden in plain sight. Hidden in plain sight. As we consider this truth of being hidden in plain sight, I consider what the scripture says, particularly here in Romans 8, a powerful portion of scripture for the believer, for the Christian, as it relates to the view of mankind, view of this world, past, present and future. And whilst our world is saying, who am I? Why am I here? What is life all about? A world where suicidal rates are sky high due to people saying, Life is not worth it. What's the reason for living? What's the purpose of even going on? Hidden in plain sight, the Bible, thank God, gives us a very clear, a very straightforward reason and meaning for all of life. Amen. Here in Romans chapter 8, there is something rock solid when our world says, I'm not really sure. It is a worldview, it is a perspective that the Apostle Paul gives us, a panoramic view, if you like, of this world and God's plan from the beginning of time. As we read, and as we've heard already from Rowan, this portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is able, in just a few verses, kind of pack in this world... The past, the present, and he also looks to the future in in all of seven verses that we're going to look at today. And as a Christian, if you haven't considered it, if you haven't pondered it for very long, I encourage you to see what the Bible says about who you are, the meaning of life, and where all this is going. It is hidden in plain sight. In fact, it isn't hidden at all. 
But for so many of us living life, particularly in Australia, my wife says to me, and I say to her, Tash, we're just going to spend a little bit of time watching the footy today, you know, four, hours, four hours later. You know what she says? Well, after the football, then there's the cricket. And after the cricket, we're back to football again. And it just goes on and on. There's always something, some other sport to watch, to fill your time with. And are you like me, particularly in our blessed nation of Australia, we can, we can fill our life with Netflix. We can fill our life with social media. We can fill our life with just doing, doing, doing that we forget we're not human doings, we're human beings. And we just stop for a moment and be. But you know, a lot of us don't want to stop and think because it's scary. <laughs> the things that we might think about, what does this all mean? So it's just sometimes easier to be busy doing so we don't have to think about what's really going on. But the Bible, the Apostle Paul, answers the big questions of life with great clarity. Who I am, what does all this mean, and why? Do you remember asking those questions, perhaps, to your parents? Often it happens, doesn't it, on long drives. Mummy, Daddy, where did I come from? Well, Johnny asked that question. And mum and dad looked at each other and they thought, well, who's going to go first and explain, you know, where little Johnny came from. Mum's given dad the, the elbow and so dad's gone off on this great detailed, uh, you know, explicit rant on the birds and the bees. We've all heard about the birds and the bees. And he's gone into great detail about... Uh, the intimacy of marriage, and uh, mum's looking back at Johnny, and Johnny is shocked. His eyes are hanging out of his head. He, he is terrified, horrified of the detail in which dad has gone to to explain how it is that he came to be. Dad got the picture that maybe it's a little too much for little ears. So he said, Johnny, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Johnny said, no, not, not really. My friend said he came from South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> this subject is massive and it is deep. Let's ponder by God's grace. Now, I was given up to verse 30 today. But just so I'm not too long... I decided to preach up to verse 25. You're grateful, aren't you? <laughs> Amen. Let's get into it. Let's consider what Paul says about worldview and Christian perspective on all of this. Verse 19, he says, as it relates to creation, he says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What about this world, creation? Well, the first word there we see, and we'll dig out these key words that we see, verse 20 and verse 19, but the first word there is expectation. 
J.B. Phillips' translation says, creation is on tiptoes to see the revelation of the sons of God. And the Bible often does this. It personifies creation. Uh, Isaiah does it uh, in, in texts of, of, of his writings. Uh, the psalmist does it often where it speaks of creation and it says the trees rejoice or uh, the floods, they clap their hands. And there's this speaking of creation and the, and, and the created thing that they are, they are living in expectation for the sons of God. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's living with this expectancy. That plant life, that bird, that, that, that those things that simply grow from the ground and all of the animal world, if you like, creation, they have an expectation factor, if you like, written right into them. And Paul here is making a specific reference to the natural order of this world in terms of the plant life and animal life. And he says, they know there must be more than what there currently is. There's an expectation in them that, that God has much more in stake. Um, many commentators write and they say things like, the world is singing a song, the birds sing early in the morning, creation is singing, but it is all singing in what it calls the minor key. There's something much greater for, for th that it can sing. The second word there is found in verse 20, where it says that creation has this ex expectation, but it was subject to futility. Or the NIV, the version we read, it says creation is subject to frustration. And it says it's, uh, it's subject to frustration, and it's frustration not by its own choice, but, um, but, by, but because of man. And then it also says the frustration that it, that, it, that it experiences, there is a frustration but also a greater hope. What we have here is Paul's commentary, if you like, on, Roman, uh, on Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. Genesis 3 verse 17 and 18. You can turn there if you like, but this is where sin enters the world as a result of the rebellion of man. Now can I tell you, this is not a common or a popular subject in our world today. As our world moves further and further away from God, you do not hear much about sin or the fall of man, but can I tell you, it is in the Bible and we are seeing the results of sin and the fall of man all around us. And it may, may not be a popular view. It may not be a light view, but can I tell you, it is a view that makes sense and it is a view that is biblical. Verse 17 of Genesis 3, to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you must not eat from, cursed is the ground because of you. You want to understand why the world is the way it is? It is because of man. And therefore, creation, the grass, the trees, the leaves, the roses, the, the fruits, the pineapples, the avocados, the tigers, the lions, and you know, need I go on? 
They all are in frustration, but there is an eager expectation for something more, something greater. What has caused this frustration? Genesis 3 tells us very, very clearly it is because of man. Cursed is the ground because of you. Creation is frustrated not because of anything it did, because of man. The reason the world is the way it is because of the fall of man. Nature's potential is limited. Its development is limited. Decay is constant. Anyone that has ever tried to grow a garden knows this. We've got a lemon tree that has suffered for a long time. I sing to it. I pray over it. I I fertilize it. I throw in, you know, horse stuff and fish stuff. Uh, Yet nevertheless, the weather changes. The the sun scorches it. The winter freezes it. And and it's the fall of man. (laughs) Bugs eat stuff. Come on, is anyone with me? How hard is it to grow a garden? (laughs) Why? Again, the Bible gives us an answer. The world is subject to frustration. We lived in Africa for seven years, and whilst we were there, I remember going on an elephant safari down into um, Malawi. And we, we, we lived in Zambia, the city of Ndola, and we drove some eight hours to Victoria Falls and we continued on, uh, kind of, uh, Zambia's like landlocked right in the middle, the most northern part of southern Africa, and you kind of sweep through Zimbabwe and then we're in Malawi and we're in these natural plains and we're in this, this four-wheel drive with the open back and there are hundreds of elephants before us throwing water and flicking mud and the little, little, little elephants are with the big elephants and it was a glorious sight to see. Right near us, we have the Botanical Gardens in Berwick. Beautiful gardens there, glorious gardens and in town that where you see them deliberately planting you know, uh, flowers in season with all their colours and with all the beauty of it. How many of you know creation is, is, is spectacular? It's, 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 it's an amazing thing to see. But guess what? We ain't seen anything yet. All of creation, even with its natural beauty, we see the possibility, but yet the Bible tells us very clearly there's a frustration, there's a dwarfing, if you like. There is much, much more that creation groans and knows there is to come. Creation subject to frustration and decay. This is due to the will of God. This is not an accident. This is God's created order that when he said, when man sins, his rebellion, cursed is the ground because of you. But notice in verse 21, it says, not only is there an expectation in creation and there's a frustration in creation, but there's a liberation there. It says there, it is subjected in hope 
that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What the scripture is saying here is that there is coming a day when all the restraints due to man's sin will be gone. Hallelujah. This is what heaven is going to be like. This is, is, is part of, of, of what it's going to be like. No restrictions. Can you imagine eating a grape the size of a basketball? Peter picks this up in Acts 3 when he preaches to the crowd. He says, repent, turn to God so your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. But at this moment, Creation groans. Weeds choke plants. Bugs eat flowers. Pollution affects our rivers, our oceans. Tsunamis. Earthquakes. Pestilence. Disease. All of creation groans. And this is a groan that is not preceding death, but birth. The creation order awaits what God is going to do with his children. So let's talk about that. If that's creation, groaning, frustrated, we see it. What about God's plan for us? Well, the Bible gives us where it says there, waiting for the freedom of the glory of the children of God, verse 21, the Bible gives us a very precise, clear understanding as it relates to the world. That is, God was in the beginning. God will be there at the end of every person, every man, as it relates to this earth. And he will be there in the forever. Now, here it says... Paul says there is coming a day of the revelation of the children of God. What is that all about? It is about this. That as a Christian, we live currently in the frustration of life, in the problem of life, the pain of life, if you like, because of our sinful, our inherent sinful nature the entire world, if you like, is living in this curse. The Bible says that due to the problem of sin, we've left God out of the equation of life. And who remembers the time when they came to that realisation personally? Do you remember that? Do you remember when you were fed up in your sin? Do you remember when you came to the end of yourself, 
where you looked at your life and you said, what is the meaning and the purpose? Somebody was declaring to you, maybe it was a relative, a friend, maybe it was the radio, maybe it was a church service that you attended, maybe it was a song or a very low moment or a high moment in your life that somebody declared to you, the purpose of life, the meaning of life is Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you were wondering what the purpose? I told you for me it was Peter Garrett. It was red sails in the sunset. It was US forces. I was a young man. Aussie family, no Christian upbringing whatsoever and and I was listening to music and the hopelessness that was in the 80s and early 90s uh, and the the Cold War, the United States and, and Peter Garrett, before he became a politician, singing songs to young Aussies like me, speaking of the hopelessness of the world and uranium and the bombs and we've got enough to blow the world up a hundred, you know, thousand times and as he said those things to a, a young Aussie who had no knowledge, no upbringing of faith in God, I begin to say, who are we? What are we doing? Where is our world going? It was at that time, God was no doubt working the entire way, that I begin to consider God. What about God? What about faith? What, a, what, a, what is this all about? And somebody explained to me the fact that I was a sinner separated from God, needing a saviour, and that God hadn't left the world broken, that he'd entered into world as a man, and he'd suffered and he died and he lived the perfect life for a person like me. And I remember that day, August the 21st, 1989, when I came down to an altar and received Jesus as my Lord and saviour. I remember it. I was never the same. My heart began to have new affections. I began to hang around new people, new company, and had new values in my heart. But you know what? Christianity isn't just for now. It is also for a future, a future dimension, if you like. I remember when I saw that life wasn't just a joke. I remember when I understood that death need not be feared that God is in control and that everything is working to that day when the Son of God will be revealed to the world. What does that mean? It means, church, this is a day that has not happened yet, that when Jesus Christ returns, and he will, that he will reveal the church, Christians, sons and daughters for who they really are. And people, you and I, whom in the workplace may be considered strange. Is anyone considered strange at work? Is anyone considered, why do you have those values? I'm building a pool at the moment. And a guy said to me, I've got a couple of water meters if you want them. (laughs) We can fill your pool up, he says. I said, what do you mean? He says, what do you mean what I mean? I come out, I attach a water meter, it ticks, and then, once the pool's full, put yours back, and guess what? Nothing's ticked on your ticker. (laughs) I said, do you know what I do for a living? (laughs) (laughs) 
And he thought it was strange. He thought it was strange that I wouldn't be interested in the ticker. Guess what? The Bible says there is coming a day when you and I, who are viewed as weird, as obscure, as unnormal, and and not functioning with the flow of this world and society, maybe you're considered to be a little bit crazy. You might be, but... The Bible says the whole world will see you for who you are and what you are. Creation, the Bible says, is on tiptoes, eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus, for the church to arise as his chosen bride. All of creation singing in a minor key, waiting for the major key, and all of a sudden, a day that hasn't happened yet, Is it going to happen? Yes, it's going to happen. The Bible says it's going to happen. And on that day, the sons of God will be revealed. Oh, hallelujah. This is a a, a Maya window show like no other. Forget the black eyed peas. Forget Jimmy Barnes. I'm telling you, the AFL do not have entertainment that will compare to when Jesus returns for his church and the glorious harmony of his church being revealed. I want you to know it's it's going to be awesome. (laughs) Hallelujah, church. How do we know this? Because it's in the Word. And can I tell you, other explanations of the world, most people don't know. I don't know. Just be happy, mate. Whatever. Mate, do you want another stubby? Don't worry about it, mate. Let's watch the footy. No. The Bible gives a very clear-cut answer. And it's right here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not only do we see this, and I would encourage you, if you've been struggling, if you've, if you've felt you know, under the pump and burdened by the way people treat you because of your faith, draw great encouragement from this passage to stay the course and be strong in faith because the day is coming when the sons of God will be revealed. Ah, people will mock, ah, the Jesus stuff, it won't happen. You know what? As they did in the days of Noah. Ah, there's no flood, it's never rained, Noah. There's no rain, don't worry about it, forget about it. That's silly, guess what? It rained. The Bible says the day is coming, it won't be rain, but it'll be fire. Ah, it won't happen, it'll never happen. It's going to happen. Let God be true, and every man a liar. Not only... Revelation, but adoption. We ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, verse 23, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We've been adopted, yeah, by God. And the beauty of adoption is that whenever you adopt a child, and I haven't done this, but... See, when you have a child naturally by birth... You get surprised. <laughs> oh, it's got a lot more hair than I expected, or, or, or whatever the case. Gee, child's got brown eyes. <laughs> Inwardly, you might have been hoping they were blue, but guess what? It's your child, regardless of how they look. But with adoption, you choose. That one, that one, that one. Take that one. Can I take that one? No, I definitely won't take that one. Uh, 
What an amazing thing God has adopted us. But that adoption isn't complete. Not yet. Not totally. The adoption will be complete when he takes us to be with himself and there there'll be no more pain and no more sorrow. The best is yet to come. Right now we're stuck between the here and now. Sin no longer reigns, but it remains. Therefore, we don't have to you know, pretend with unbelieving friends that we're perfect or that our life is perfect or that we don't suffer hardship or difficulty. We are in this world. We, we suffer all of the elements, if you like, of this world. But there's coming a time where suffering will be no more. This is the redemption that says there, the adoption of sonship and the redemption of our bodies. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, our perishable bodies will put on imperishable. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that this earthly tent will be destroyed, but then we will have an eternal house. We'll, we will cast off this earthly tent. Oh, what a joy it's going to be to not live in this aching body. Had a tooth filled the other day. Now another tooth in. I had this injury on this foot, you know, a month ago. Just when the injury gets better, when my knee starts hurting. Started rubbing Denka rub into it yesterday. And then I thought, I'm getting this one right, and then that one starts hurting. <laughs> Does anyone know what I'm talking about? This body of mine, it, it grew. <laughs> There's a few on this side. Uh, um, this body groans. And listen, if you're older than 28, I reckon you know what I'm talking about. My, my, my stepfather said to me, he said, um, it's like after, after 30, the, the body just puts on an inch of lead automatically for doing nothing every year. I said, you're up to about 46 inches um, of lead. Guess what? Soon you won't have to look at that wrinkly face anymore. Hallelujah. Read a story. I'm nearly done. Hallelujah. It's early. Oh. No, it's not. There's a young woman 